0: The scripture reading is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. The word of the Lord. I'm going to say a prayer for our message. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for baptisms. Thank you for your Son, Christ. Thank you for the book of Philippians, would you help us learn, help us understand your word, help us be challenged, would you, do, would you do all of this through your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. What word, if you were to describe like our culture and our world right now, the first word that pops in your head, what would it be? Would it be something like Chaotic? Uh, a mess, maybe a lot of anger, a lot of division, a lot of rivalry and, and bitterness. It doesn't, it, it's like every, every week if you, if you read the news or you watch the news, it seems like there's always a news story that you're pressed to take like one really hard side on or a different hard side and it just kind of gets you amped up, Right? it doesn't really do us a lot of good. We enter into the division, right? doesn't matter the topic. But the good news is that, like, Christians everywhere are united, right? <laughs> We're at peace with each other. We don't have any chaos, any mess. <laughs> we know that's not true. But I think in the Scriptures... Paul says, you know, conduct yourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. We should somehow represent a different hope, a different place, like a safe haven, a safe haven apart from the chaos and the anger and the mess. And that's difficult because we all have opinions, right? (laughs) We all have points of view, but yet when we enter into the family of God into a local church were somehow supposed to be united. And Paul, Paul there's, there's a call that Paul does in Philippians. He, he gives us a command. Verse 27, he's telling us to, to live worthy of the gospel. Live worthy of the gospel. We're going to get to that in a moment. But I want to I take a moment and look at what it means when he says this. He says, whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So I want to focus on two words in that sentence. I want to focus on conduct yourselves. It's actually one Greek word. And then gospel. So what is the the Greek word conduct yourself? It is the Greek word polyteomai. Polyteomai. Does anyone here know the Greek word for city? Anyone at all? Paulus, that's right. It's a word that you would, that like, once you hear it, you're like, oh, that makes sense, right? Because you've all heard of, like, metropolis. That means, like, a great big city. Metropolis. Paulus. So this word, polyteomai, it has something to do with a city. But I thought I was talking about, like, actions, how to behave. Well, actually, this word means to be a citizen. So Paul is saying, whatever happens... Be a citizen. Be a citizen. Well, that's a bit confusing because where, like, what does that mean? Are you supposed to be a citizen of Philippi, of, of Rome, where Paul currently is, or are, are we supposed to be like citizens of America or whatever country you're from? Well, Paul is actually saying that we are citizens of a greater country, of a far away country that is drawing near through Jesus. This country is called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. We're to be citizens. We're to live and act like we are citizens of a greater kingdom. Now, I was listening to a sermon today from a pastor who described, like, we all have kingdoms, right? Like, you're, for some of us, if you own a house, like, how you keep your house, how you keep people off your property, or you invite them on your property, like, that is what it means to have your own little kingdom, right? Maybe if you have your own room, or you have, like, one bed in one corner of the room, like, that's your space, that's your kingdom. <laughs> well, the gospel... Gospel means good news. The gospel is the good news that God's heavenly kingdom, his space, is breaking into our space, into this world. In fact, Jesus preached the arrival of God's kingdom. I want to share a verse with you from Matthew chapter 4. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news, that's the gospel, of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Jesus preached all about the kingdom, and we see hints of the kingdom of God in Paul's words right here. Be a citizen. Live like you're a citizen of God's kingdom. That means we're to act differently. Have you ever noticed, like, when someone visits from a foreign country, that they just act a little differently? Whether they're from, like, France or Germany or Texas or Louisiana. Like, they, they just act a little bit differently. We're to act a little bit differently. Now, this kingdom, Christ sets up first in our hearts. He comes. We saw this this tonight with Molly. Her baptism, God is setting up his kingdom in her life through her faith in Christ. God is dealing with her sin issues, helping her grow to be more like Jesus, But does the kingdom of God stop with me personally? No. The kingdom of God recognizes that it it goes out. It goes out from us to those around us. It fills our church. It it impacts our communities, our cities. See, there is both a message, the gospel, and then there is an impact that the gospel makes on our hearts and on the world. I want to share the first part, which is the gospel message. The gospel message, like, it begins with a recognition, right? I sin. I disobey God. If I don't deal with my sin, when I enter into eternity, I will have to deal with it then. And it won't go well. But the gospel, the good news, so that's the bad news. The gospel is the good news that God offers us forgiveness through Jesus Christ. That what Jesus did on the cross uh, came to deal with our sins so that we could be a part of this greater kingdom, this greater place. See, the gospel message is a message of salvation, of saving me as a person. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says this. It says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is the gospel message. And if you don't believe this, if you don't know Christ, I hope that you'll consider it tonight, that perhaps you need to die for your sins spiritually. That's much better to die spiritually for your sins with Christ than to die physically at the end of time for your sins. So here's the first half, the gospel message. But I also want to talk about the gospel impact, right, because the kingdom goes out. See, the gospel impact is the recognition that sin doesn't just affect me. Right? It affects all of us. If sin starts in my heart because I am disobedient before God, it's like I have a heart that leaks. <laughs> I have a very leaky heart. The sin goes out into this world. It, it hurts my relationships. It hurts my relationships with my, with my spouse, with my, my friends, with my coworkers. And it keeps going and going and building and building It hurts our communities. It hurts our societies. It infiltrates our systems. It gets into things like our government and our businesses as sin impacts this whole world so that everything is somehow not as it should be. Everything is not as God intended it to be, but there's good news. See, I believe the scriptures say that the kingdom is coming, the kingdom has come in Christ and it's still coming and that means God is interested in fixing the brokenness, not just in me but also in our world, in all of creation I want to show you a verse, Romans chapter 8 Paul also wrote this, he wrote our book today it says, for the creation was subjected to frustration in other words, sin, sin entered into it not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. See, there's a gospel message that changes me, that deals with my sin, and then it has a greater impact. It impacts the world, the gospel impact. See, we're, we're to live like this is true. Do you, do you realize like how valuable and how wonderful this message is? <laughs> Cuz there's no situation, there's no family, there's no relationship, there's no person that is alive and breathing that is far from hope. There's hope for all of us. And so we're to live differently. Have you ever like, purchased something that you really like and you, you know exactly how much it costs and so you, you treat that thing like, really carefully? I recently purchased a new gas grill. I mean, it is great. It has three burners, it has a drip tray, it has that new grill smell. You guys are all familiar with that? And because I have this new grill, like I'm careful. Like, I, I use it, but then I clean it or I have Monica clean it. I wipe out the inside. I want it to last because I understand how valuable it is. It's a good thing. I want to keep it. I want to be a good steward of it. Maybe you've gotten a new car recently or you've gone clothing shopping and so you're extra careful not to put your clothes into the dryer for like the first month so they don't shrink. Well, how much more valuable is the gospel? How much more valuable is this life-transforming World-changing message that impacts me and you and you and you and everyone. Doesn't it make you want to live differently? Doesn't it like foster that desire in your heart? Like, I want to live like I'm a part of this other kingdom. I know I'm here. I know I'm in this world. But I I want to recognize that there's this other kingdom breaking in. See, Paul is calling us to live worthy of the gospel. And so how can we do that? We want to do it. How do we do it? Our passage today is all about unity. Live worthy of the gospel through unity. The rest of verse 27 says, Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. The Philippians are to live as one. All these different people from all these different like stories, grew up in different places from different like socioeconomic statuses, different races. They're all united in the gospel, in this good news of this kingdom that God has brought into this world through Christ Jesus. They're all to live united. Now do we are we doing this? As like a Christian culture, disciples across our state, across our country, across our globe, are we living united? I think not. In fact, there's a a tendency in us to either highlight the gospel message or to focus on the gospel impact. I want to share a quote with you by a guy named Murray Capil. It's this. It says, there has been a tendency over the last 150 years for personal spirituality to be the concern of evangelicals and social justice, the kingdom to be the domain of liberals. You go to an evangelical church to hear sermons on faith, repentance, prayer, love, joy, serving, giving, evangelism, healthy relationships, personal integrity, God's grace, God's power, and God's providence. You go to liberal churches to hear sermons on family violence, the victims of AIDS, oppression of the poor, environmental issues, and the concerns of the marginalized. But aren't we supposed to preach the full kingdom? Some of us are good at getting out there and serving, and some of us are good at talking about the sin in our hearts. Well, aren't we supposed to preach the full kingdom? Both dealing with the issues on the inside and those that have gone out and infiltrated and saturated our society. See, I don't don't believe we're called to live in gospel bubbles, gospel bubbles that are just like me and I'm taken care of, or like my family's taken care of, or my church is taken care of. We're to to be in a fire hydrant (laughs) that soaks the world, that goes out and realizes the world is on fire. And it needs the kingdom. It needs Jesus' salvation to infiltrate it, to saturate it. And you know what? We can only do this if we do it together, if we do it united. See, I have lots of good ideas. The scripture seems to have good ideas, but we can only do this if we do this together, if we're one, if we're united. This word, stand firm, striving together, Commentary pointed out that the, the main root of the word striving is soon athleo, sun athleo. Maybe you hear a word that sounds familiar in that Greek word, athleo, athletic. So striving together. So the picture that Paul is painting here in the New Testament is of like them getting together on the same athletic team. So like they're all running together or they're all they're all wrestling together, or they're all doing CrossFit together. <laughs> Just kidding. That's, that's my interpretation. I'm reading into the scriptures there. A, a nice picture, I think, I want to show you this picture. Uh, this is a very popular American sport called rugby. <laughs> when I think of, like, striving together, look at that, like, huddle. Like, they're I have a friend at my CrossFit gym, and she, she plays rugby. She described, like, it's really painful to get into this. It's called a rugby scrum. And you lock arms, and you press your shoulders into the, the shoulders and, like, the heads of the other team. Because you're going to fight for the ball, so they throw the, foot, uh, the, the ball in, and you have to try to get it with your feet. But you have to work together as a team, and there's striving, and there's <laughs> effort, See, we're called to seek after the gospel, to seek the good news of the kingdom, the gospel message, and to strive to make a gospel impact on this worthy. But we can only do it if we're united in this. I believe our vision as a church reflects this. Our vision is what we want to become. We want to become a gospel-centered church, that changes lives through sharing the message of Jesus Christ in word and in deed. In other words, we want to hear the truth that Jesus gives us in the scriptures, that Paul gives us in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and every single word of this Bible we want to hear, we want to believe, we want to grow in. But then we don't want those things to stop at our heart, do we? We want them to impact uh, our head. We want them to impact our hearts and our hands, and we want to put into action the kingdom of God. So we want to hear the gospel and we want to see it made real in our world. We can only do this if in our church we each take responsibility for this. We, we view it as this is our church's call. This is our ministry's call to live out the full kingdom of God, to see it made real in our church, in our town, in our Westford, in our, our offices, our communities. Now, this is pretty intimidating, isn't it? <laughs> like, I like to talk about the gospel, but I don't really know if I'm ready to see it change the world. <laughs> Paul gives us a couple encouragements in our passage. First, he says, he says you know, live, wor- live worthy of the gospel through unity. We don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. You, don't, you can be unafraid, <laughs> Verse 28 says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. So who is opposing the Philippians? And we see Paul resonates with them in this opposition. We don't know exactly for sure who, but I think there are some hints in the scriptures, hints from history. Uh, the first possibility are the Judaizers. The Judaizers, they, they are this, the, the believers <laughs> that were Jews, right? So they were Jewish people. They, they practiced the law. They tried to obey the law. And they came to put their faith in Christ. But then they said, well, you know, when, there, when new people come into our church, yeah, like you, you're saved through Jesus. You're saved through Christ. But you also have to obey the law. You have to do all the things the law says. And one of the things the law says is that if you're a male, you have to get circumcised. And Philippi is a city full of non-circumcised Gentiles. So you can see how this would hinder church growth. People wouldn't be too interested in that message. I want salvation, but I don't want that. And this is why Paul writes later in the message this is why I think he writes it. He says, Philippians chapter 3, verses 2 through 3 says, Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Paul is saying, You've been circumcised in your heart. You don't need to go out and to do all those other things first to earn your salvation. Notice the gospel message comes first and then the gospel impact. Not the gospel impact, oh, I have to go out and I have to make a difference in my world and then I can be saved. No. Gospel impact on my heart saturates outward. Now, it could be the Judaizers, but it could also be the city of Philippi itself. The city of Philippi is very hostile, (laughs) Towards Christianity. You can think of you know, perhaps major cities in our world today that you think, well, they're not super interested in Jesus. This is kind of the, the, the community in Philippi. So they're, very, they're very patriotic. They're very nationalistic. And in that culture, uh, the emperor held the title Lord and Savior. All right, so the emperor held the title Lord and Savior. So when you showed up for like a public athletic games event or a sporting event, you would start by swearing allegiance to your your Lord and your Savior by honoring him. Can you imagine that? Like if you show up to your Little League baseball game or you go to a Red Sox game and you all stand up and, cross your hand over your heart and you declare that our president or our mayor or the governor is Lord and Savior, I would not feel comfortable doing that. The The Philippians, they couldn't do it either because there is only one Lord and Savior. And Paul came preaching that message that there is the Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. You know what happened when Paul showed up in this town? He was beaten, He was was harassed, he was beaten, and he was thrown in prison. And when he left Philippi, it didn't stop. See, the church at Philippi experienced oppression and persecution. 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through uh, through 2, it says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. As you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. This is pretty intimidating, whether it's the Judaizers or the city of Philippi, isn't it? But Paul's audience, the Philippians, they don't need to be afraid. Paul doesn't need to be afraid. And we in our world, in our culture, we don't need to be afraid. Why? Because if you've if you've repented of your sin, if you've put your faith in Christ Jesus, You're not really a part of, you're in it, but you're not of it. You're of a greater kingdom. You're of a kingdom where you can never lose your citizenship, the kingdom of God. I listened to a podcast this week by uh, Phil Vischer, the, uh, creator of VeggieTales, What's in the Bible? And he was reading a Washington Post article that I think illustrated a, a story of one individual's kind of fearlessness to share the gospel message, share this message of, uh, of, a, of a savior that, sa- that saves us from sin. Uh, many of you guys know who this is, Tim Tebow. Uh, Maybe you know his story, maybe you don't. He was homeschooled by his Christian parents. He spent his summer in the Philippines. He helped with his father's orphanage. Like his father was a missionary and did missionary work. During his college career, he won the Heisman Trophy, and he would wear like references to the bible on his like, little eye patches when he played so apparently he wore john 3:16 one week and that made a big stir at the 2009 BCS championship game he has been an outspoken advocate for pro life he's committed to abstinence from sex before marriage he's preached in churches prisons schools youth groups and evangelical conferences and he is of course well known for his signature move dropping to one knee on the field and praying. People call it T-bowing, but it's really just prayer. (laughs) Jesus did it first. (laughs) Tim Tebow is famous for his faith and for football. He's currently not playing football right now. I don't know if that's... Uh, because people don't want him around, or if he's just not good enough. But I do. I, I think it's fair to say he has faced a lot of criticism for his faith in Christ Jesus, trying to, to be a witness for Christ in the way that God has called him to. I don't know about you, but like I want like one tenth, three, like maybe one percent of Tim Tebow's fearlessness. I don't think I would ever like kneel or wear John 3.16 in the middle of a packed stadium unless it was full of, like, Christians. Wow. We don't need to be afraid. We're called to just live worthy, worthy of the gospel through unity, through unity with each other, through the gospel message. That's Paul's first encouragement, and he has a second encouragement. It's not as encouraging. See, suffering... Suffering is a sign that we're doing it right. <laughs> Last week we talked about suffering. Verse 29 says for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for him. Paul says, I've been there, I know what that's like. I'm experiencing it too. You're going through the same kind of struggle that you saw I had and now here that I still have. I'm suffering. You're suffering. That's okay. That's a good sign. We're suffering on behalf of the gospel. That's good. This word for suffer is the same word used to describe what Jesus went through on his way to the cross. Christ suffered. Suffered. He suffered relationally as he was abandoned by his friends, by his disciples. He suffered physically as he was scourged and lashed. (laughs) And he suffered death itself as he was nailed to a cross and died. (laughs) And Paul is saying, expect the same kind of suffering. In fact, the early church was experiencing very similar suffering. Uh, Peter, another apostle, another leader of the church, he wrote to the church, potentially under Nero. And he said, suffering is to be expected. This is what he wrote, 1 Peter 2.21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. See, this early church, either during the time of this writing or shortly thereafter, they were, they were martyred and killed by Nero. He, he tied them to poles, lit them on fire, fed them to animals, all while alive. Paul is saying, you get, to, you get to suffer. You get to suffer <laughs> on behalf of Christ. And somehow, when we face suffering, when we face rejection from our friends, from our culture, from even family members, because of Christ, we're entering into that suffering and we're sharing in it a little bit. And that's a good thing. It's not a fun thing. It's not like we should kind of like seek it out. Oh, how can I suffer today? How much can I I just feel the pain? But as we walk through life and we are rejected, we can be unafraid, but we can also give God praise. The Washington Post article that Phil Vischer uh, uh, shared described another football player who I think it's fair to say is suffering for the kingdom of God in some ways. Uh, He's suffering for the gospel, but this isn't quite like the gospel that Tim Tebow is preaching, the the personal sin. He's suffering on behalf of the gospel that impacts the the gospel impact, the, the greater kingdom. See, he recognizes, Tim Tebow recognizes there are personal sins, there are sins that we need to deal with. And this other player recognizes that there are social sins, that there are oppressive systems, that sin has saturated our world and we need to deal with it. Maybe you have heard of him. His name is Colin Kaepernick. So Colin started protesting the sin. He did it by sitting, then kneeling during the national anthem at NFL games because he has experienced it and he's watched the, the racism, and the brutality, and the death. He says something needs to be done about this. Did you know he's a Christian? <laughs> Colin was baptized Methodist, confirmed Lutheran, and attended a Baptist church during college. He also, just like Tim Tebow, wears the the John 3.16 references, he just wears them a little bit more permanently as tattoos on his body. His body has tattoos of scrolls, of a cross, of praying hands, of angels defeating demons, of terms like glory be to God, heaven sent, God will guide me. Psalm 18.39 and Psalm 27.3. He said this, he said, My faith is the basis from where my game comes from. I've been very blessed to have the talents to play the game that I do and be successful at it. I think God guides me through every day and helps me take the right steps and helps me to get where I'm at. When I step on the field, I always say a prayer, say I'm thankful to be able to wake up that morning and go out there and try to glorify the Lord with what I do on the field. I think if you go out and you try to do that, no matter what you do on the field, you can be happy about what you did. And it's not just about making him feel happy. He's also turned him into an an activist. During this off-season, he raised money for a GoFundMe page uh, to fly food and water into Somalia that's suffering. Surpassed $2 million. He's already donated $1 million from his income and jersey sales to charitable work. And he joined with the charitable, charitable organization 100 Suits, to pass out free suits in front of the New York State Parole Office for people who had been released from prison and are looking for jobs. Colin Kaepernick protests because black people are dying from systematic racism and police brutality. And out of his desire to see the whole world changed, even the unjust systems and sin-filled systems, what's happened to him? (laughs) He's lost his job? He's not currently playing? Something that's because of these protests? And I don't know about you, but I feel like the culture that I'm most familiar with, the Christian culture, we love Tebow, but we don't love Colin Kaepernick. (laughs) Now, I am not here to say, you know, this is the best way to protest. By the way, we're all protesters in here, if you're a Protestant. (laughs) They're both, I think, Tebow and Kaepernick, I think it's fair to say this, they're both facing gospel-centered, kingdom-centered suffering. And our job as the church is to band together with people like them, with them, with each other, Be united and say, we want to see sin backed out of this world. We want to see it pushed back. We want to see it pushed back in each other's hearts. We want to see it pushed back in the world. Because the kingdom of God is here. See, I I can't preach an honest message (laughs) on being united as a church unless I bring up a topic that perhaps we're not united on. And we have different points of view on. You know, I know that we are a church that loves the gospel that changes my heart. But I don't know if we are a church that loves the gospel that changes my world. I think we can become that. I think we can. Because we have the Holy Spirit and he's changing us and transforming us from the inside out. We're going to see it happen. The gospel came to transform both the individual and the culture. I'm not saying we should become a church known for political activism. That's not my message. But we should be a church that's known for the gospel of personal redemption and social redemption, both of Thibaut and Kaepernick. See, so this is the gospel, this is the full gospel, the united gospel. Live worthy of the gospel through gospel unity. I was supposed to preach all the way through Philippians chapter 2, verse 11 tonight. So we're going to have a second service right now. <laughs> I'll preach that next week. But I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me this message, gave us this message. So we're going to go through Philippians chapter 2 next week. I hope you'll come back. You know, we can live united in the kingdom and the gospel only if we humble ourselves. Next week, passage is all about the humility of Christ Jesus, how he humbled himself. He entered into our world. Jesus, I'll give you just a little taste of next week. Jesus had it all. Jesus is in heaven it's perfect there there's no sin no no gross smells gross people gross brokenness there's nothing wrong there and he stepped down into this world the king came into our kingdom so that he could transform our kingdom into his kingdom he entered into our chaos our mess And our anger. And he did it all while being perfectly unified with his father. Philippians 2 verse 8 says he humbled himself by becoming obedient. He was perfectly united with the will of the father even when it was difficult. Even when he had to go to the cross. Obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Jesus loved the Father. He obeyed the Father. He trusted the Father. And what was his reward? Death. Chaos. Mess. That's what the cross is. See, at the cross, Jesus took on our our amazingly awful disunity. That's what he did. He was dying for our chaos, dying for our sin on the cross. And so if you have put your faith in Christ, repented of your sins, you get to taste the perfect unity Jesus has known for all time with the Father. Like you, you, get the, you get to get rid of your messed up sin, your disunity, and Christ gives you his. That's the gospel message. That's the heart of the gospel And the good news is that this gospel isn't just a selfish gospel. It's not just for me. It's for us. It's for all of creation. At the end of our passage next week, it says, every knee should bow. That means every knee, one day it will bow. Just like Tim Tebow, just like Colin Kaepernick. Every knee will bow to King Jesus. Let's begin to bow to King Jesus tonight, in this world, in this life. Let's experience that, that perfect spiritual healing that is powerful enough to change the world. Live worthy of the gospel through gospel unity. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this message. It's really difficult to live worthy of the gospel It's really difficult to be unified in the gospel. Help us do that, because we can't do it without you. We need your Holy Spirit to enable us, to give us a greater greater vision of what is possible, greater vision of your kingdom. We pray for the offering. Would somehow what we give tonight further the kingdom? But help usher in the kingdom into this world as we use it wisely. In Jesus' name, amen.